You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode number 32. Give Me Five podcast, where each week we discuss the things that entertained us. It could be comics, games, music, movies, games based off of movies, movies based off of games, could be anything. I'm Jimmy, and together with my co-host Greg, hello, and Rob, what's up guys? We combine to form a Voltron of bad humor, the Give Me Five podcast. Total bad humor. This week, we'll be discussing Ready Player One. Pacific Rim 2, Uprising, and the new album by one of our favorite artists, Ghost. Ghost. <laughs> I was about to say, or as Rob calls him, Ghost. That album is called Possessor. Nice. So, as always, this is a review show, and there will probably be spoilers. We'll try to avoid any major twists. For example, if you didn't know that the badass red bike in Ready Player One is from Akira, and then see, when you first wrote that, I thought you were talking about the red bike from E.T. But, you know, whatever. From Akira, or the, the Megazord is just a ripoff of Voltron. It's from Pee Wee Herman, man. From Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> then you You're talking might... about the one that's laying in the in the workshop. It's the one from Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, no, I thought there was one in the, uh, in the stacks, but... We're, anyway, we're going to try and avoid any of the uh, the 80s nerd out Easter eggs. But if you didn't know that the Megazord was just a ripoff of Voltron, you might want to come back later. Totally is. Totally In is. fact, I didn't even know what a Megazord was until I saw the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie uh, the other day. Because my son insisted that I watch it with him. And you know, can, can we all agree that the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is just a straight up rip- ripoff of Voltron in general? I mean, Big Bad Beetleborgs was original as it gets so i'll take that one in day of the week yeah that's a bad humor voltron joke (laughs) we're full of them so if you are offended by what rob just said about mighty morphin power rangers you can contact us i'm destroying your childhood i hated the power rangers for the record yeah i wasn't a fan either we were just in that age group just past it but anyway so if you are angry at what we're saying right now feel free to contact us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod. You can email us directly at Give Me Five Podcast at gmail.com. And to help the show, please leave reviews on whatever podcast software you happen to be looking at. I have actually just put us onto Spotify. I'm waiting on the verification on that one, but we should be available on Spotify soon, as well as all of the other major podcast providers. And you could also get All sorts of cool shirts and mugs and cell phone cases and other cool things at our store at gimme5podcast.threadless.com. Okay. So anything new, guys? Um, well, uh, I was telling you guys earlier, I guess I'll go ahead and mention it. I'm, I'm slightly irritated at the new Android update. Um, for some inexplicable reason, they removed the ability to set individual tones for, uh, individual contact text messages. It used to be that I could set a ringtone and a text notification tone for each contact in my book. Now I can set an individual ringtone, but I can only have one text message tone throughout my entire contact list. And I think it's stupid because it was there and they took it away. 
you know, I'm one of those people that has like individual sounds for everybody, don't you? No, but I do have I do have individual sounds for the people who text me the most. Like like you. So what's my sound? Yours is yours is the howl from um, the howl from American Werewolf in Paris or in London, Paris. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That should be Jimmy's also, or it should have been Jimmy's also. Yeah, I don't really text anyone. No, I don't get a ton of text from Jimmy's. Yeah, that's just my thing. Yeah. Um. So speaking of updates, Niantic for some reason thought it was funny, and I guess it was funny for a little bit. Niantic is the company that um, created Pokemon Go, and they thought it was funny for April Fools to change all of the graphics of the Pokemon to 8-bit versions. And yeah, that worked for me. I totally went onto there just to see that. All right. Well, it, I mean, it was funny the like the full day before April Fools and maybe a little bit on April Fools, but it's not funny, Niantic. Fix it. If they leave it there permanently, I'm going to delete the damn game because you look at it, <laughs> you know, you look at your like proximity kind of thing and you can't tell the difference between a couple of different Pokemon. And it's infuriating because I'll be sitting here and, you know, at my desk and I can see what's down the street at the park. And I go, oh, oh, man, what is that? I better go get my car right now, which I just got back today. Um, And then I look a little bit closer and it's a Pokemon I already have. So it's infuriating at the time of this recording. It's still (laughs) there. Um, I feel like uh, they're actually doing this just to torment me. So thanks, Niantic. Fix it. You guys have a lot of trivial problems you're dealing with oh no that's not true i just had to drop an embarrassing amount of money on my car because i didn't have air conditioning and one legitimate uh, problem on that one heading into the summer in florida with no air conditioning that's that exactly. is a huge problem. i can't do it huge problem oh and and my refrigerator is broken so i've been living out of a uh cooler for like the past uh, five six days why don't you just go buy one of them little mini mini fridges they're not terribly expensive because I rent and I don't have to pay to fix it. Yeah, but you still have to wait till they decide to fix it. They're coming tomorrow. Oh, well, never mind. So I'll be all right. So did that mean all of the drifter parts that you had stored in there? Did they like all defrost? Uh, no, I ate them all. So so Jimmy's very full. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I got a couple things. Uh, they did in the very first announcement for the first haunted house at Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah, I heard that. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. Super and it's cool. Be Stranger Things, which what Ooh. that means to me, since I think all three of us put Stranger Things as the houses in our Gimme Five that should. They're exist. listening to our podcast. Clearly, they are. Hell yeah! So Stranger Things house and the teaser that they released for it, which I did pay, post on our Facebook page when it came out, was so beautiful. It was the opening of it's the entrance to the park, and then the camera kind of flips upside down, and you see the same thing in the upside down where it's all like got the. The little particles floating oh, nice. around and the the red the black vines and everything's kind of colors are off and stuff. It was beautiful. It, it kind of gave me chills. It was kind of the obvious thing to do, but it was really well done. So good work on that. Sorry guys, I keep I totally on, agree. You're fine. I keep on pa- going to mute because my throat is not sore, but it's got like I keep on having to go. <clears throat> gotcha. So let me write that time down. So if I take a long pause between something, that's because I'm doing it on purpose. Okay. Anyway, and the other thing that was kind of a neat little situation, which it's going to possibly lead to an interview later on, but I got to do a country music video shoot at a little bar up in Geneva, Florida, which was kind of a cool little 
country style off the road kind of bar. And you did not invite me. You were working. I did think ah. about it though. Ooh. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it. I mean, the musician, the country musician, he is a, he's a coworker of mine and Jimmy's. He's doing a, did a fun little song and they decided to shoot a music video for it. They had the song actually has a, a rap part in it. And they had a, a rapper come in um, whose name is – it's either Tone Z or Tones. I think it's Tone Z, who was a really nice guy. He's, he came in from New York for the shoot. Um, he did the opening sequence for the opening music for the TV show Justified. And has a bunch of other stuff that he's done. But really nice guy. I got a chance to talk to him. got a chance to kind of to see the shoot. And Awesome. It was, it was just really fun. It was cool being on a set, cool seeing how it all works. And I hadn't done it in about 10 years or so. So cool experience. And, um, my friend or our friend said that he might come on our show and talk about it. So he'll talk about country music and Rob will finally have something to talk about with a musician. Heck yeah. <laughs> Woo. Okay, guys, up next is our new thing we've been trying out. Uh, in the past, we've called it quick hits. Um, gonna try out the name snap decisions now. And Let us know if you like it or hate it. Yeah. Yep. And what we're gonna do is basically bring up some sort of topic. And then just kind of give our opinion. All of us kind of have the topics separate. We don't, we're not looking at the same script for this. Just call it shooting the shit. Yes. The, fat, the fast five. There you go. There you go. But we don't have five of them. No. We'll bring up a topic, ask a quick question about it, and see what the other people think in about a minute. Hit it. The Westworld Season 2 trailer has been released. It has a very cool slow piano version of Heart Shape Box in it. Uh, also, which you guys probably didn't see, but the Legion season two debuted uh, with a slowed down version of the song White Rabbit, also kind of the piano haunting lyrics thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to decide myself, is this haunting or is this overdone? The piano female vocals cover song in every movie, TV show, video game trailer. Yay or nay on that, guys? The You're, you're talking about just any slowed down version of a song. Like they take a pop song or a rock song that was popular in the 90s or something and they'll they'll play it like slowed down with like a piano and stuff like that. They did it in some of the trailers for Gears of War. I I think it works. Uh, I'll go first. I think it works, but it depends upon the topic. It depends upon the subject that they use it for. Um, it. I'm trying to think of one where I've actually heard it used successfully. Um, the, the one that I keep coming back to is um, uh, Kingdom Hearts, but I don't know if they actually slowed that version of it down. The Evanescence song, Wake Me Up, Okay, I th- I think they might have. I I'm I'm not sure if they slowed it down, but for me it worked. It it was it was absolutely fantastic. Um, but I I think it really depends upon the actual subject matter or the the subject that that the song is being used for, and whether or not it it fits. And I know that sounds weird to say that, but that's my take on it. Just under a minute. Very nice. Boom. So I like with Rob. Um, it really depends. For me, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I don't like when they take real classic songs or what we consider to be real classics. And then, you know, whether that's with a a male vocalist or a female vocalist, when they take it and they slow it down and they have like a female vocalist instead of a male vocalist and they try and make it more dramatic than it's supposed to be, that I can't stand. That annoys the hell out of me. Um it's funny that you bring up Heart Shape Box, and I had to double-check this. Um, in Mute, there's actually a lullaby version of Heart Shape Box. Uh, it's towards the end of the movie. I thought that I worked really that well. Now. 
Yeah, because I remember watching it and going, wait, man, I, I got to double check on that. But like Rob, I think it depends on how it's used. It depends on what song it is. And, you know, some of them drive me insane. Some of them I really like. So that's my take. Yeah, I'm torn on it. I love them. I can't get enough of them. That doesn't sound like you're torn. Really? <laughs> no, no, it I, doesn't. Because I know. Okay, Natalie and Bruglia. Because uh, I know that it, it's just kind of an easy way out. Like, if you look up, like, haunting piano versions of things in trailers, it's like, you know, they used California Dreamin' in that disaster movie with The Rock. They used it in Avengers Ultron. They used it in uh, it basically every tra- – like, there's a list of trailers that use that exact thing. It was in the Assassin's Creed trailer. It was in Zero Dark Thirty. Like, hmm. so it's like the, I know the it's slowed a crush. down. The slowed down version of California Dreamin' was was used in all of those. No, no, no. Just like <laughs> different versions of different songs. But oh, okay. So like, just slowed down piano versions with female vocals or haunting vocals. So I know it's a crutch, but I love them. It's totally it, a crutch. Yeah. So it's it's kind of I guess a guilty pleasure in a way. So that's just that was. Just something I heard tonight. I'm like, uh, you know what? I want to talk about this. I would, I would like, I would like to amend my opinion in one, in one particular way, being that it depends upon the subject matter, but it also depends upon the song. I don't think shiny happy people would work as a slowed down piano version. I hate that. Well, but you know what I mean. I mean, those song and the subject matter, and you can't just like take anything and slow it down and say, "Oh man, this is this is freaking great." No, I think there's a limit to which songs can can, it can actually be done with. I feel like shiny happy people slowed down would be great in a horror movie. In fact, I'm pretty sure there is a there is a shiny happy people slowed down version in the theme song for Bioshock. Really. I guess I'll, I'll run with the uh, next um, the next subject here, the next topic of this. And I, I was real, um, I guess, excited to bring this up to you guys. And I had to double check on, you know, who was writing it and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, after seeing Ready Player One, Armada, which was Ernest Klein's follow-up book, has a scriptwriter. And that is Dan Mizell. I hope I'm, I'm probably killing that. Uh, he's a writer on Wrath of the Titans, and he's also a writer on the new Flash movie. So rights to this were picked up by Random House and Universal um, in 2012. And so that's now moving forward. And Armada is basically an updated version of The Last, of, Last Starfighter, if you guys haven't read it. I was going to ask what you guys thought about this. And then I read that the last Starfighter reboot is being headed up by Rogue One writer Gary Witta, who just shared concept artist, concept art of that. Which looks almost exactly like the original one, by the way. I saw the concept art of that. It, it does. And Jonathan Beetle. So which one? 
Which one do you want to see? The Last Starfighter reboot or Armada? Uh, Rob, I don't think you've read Armada, but it's base. It it's the Last Starfighter basically, and if you like Ernest Klein, he put in there several times references to the Last Starfighter. So, what do you guys think? Which one would you rather see? Do you want to go Ooh, first? Or you want me to go first, Greg? I know my answer. Go ahead. I would rather see Armada. I would rather okay. that a company use something as an inspiration or now now was the last starfighter based off of armada or was armada based off of the last starfighter no armada was absolutely 100 percent almost uh almost idea theft armada was the theft okay yes. so th- even that being said i would still rather see armada because i would rather see something something new with an with an homage or an inspiration from something else as opposed to see something with the name rehashed because to me using the name seems like just a cheap way to sell tickets um because okay. basically what you're doing there is you're you're trying to draw all the people who have already seen the original in and not stand on your own merit just like um and the the one that comes to the top of my head with um with respect to that is the Robin Hood movie that starred um oh Kevin Costner? No. Carrie always? No. Um uh uh Gladiator. Crow. Russell, Russell Crowe. Crow. Yeah. The Robin Hood that star that starred Russell Crowe. Um they basically took the story of Robin Hood and changed it and re- but they basically drew people in thinking it was going to be Robin Hood and then and then it wasn't that Robin didn't Hood. Look good. And I'm like, what the f, yo? This this isn't Robin Hood. So you know, I, I'd gotcha. rather I'd rather they not they'd not have something rehash it and change the story, hoping that the name alone will draw people in. That irritates me. What do you say, Greg? I was not able to hear any of what you said because my child has reappeared in my room. <laughs> <laughs> Until the the you guys figuring out the name of Russell Crowe. So anyway, um, my thoughts on that. I think I do lean a little bit towards Armada, even though I actually liked Ready Player One, the book, significantly more than Armada. And Agreed. But the one thing I did think about Armada was that it would probably play better as a movie than a book, which is weird because I thought that, and then I looked at a review of it, and someone else had said the same thing. Because it, it, it... In the book, it, I felt like he ham-handedly put the references in. It didn't need it at all. Oh, yeah. It's like, hey, guys, look. Hey, I'm doing this again. Yeah. Hey, look, look, yeah. seriously, look at it. So my other thought was, you know, I did recently watch Last Starfighter, and I still in- I love that movie. I still enjoyed the movie, movie, but I didn't. But the way it looks, it was really dated, yeah. but it's still a fun movie to watch. Greeting, Starfighter. So you're kind of like, if they can keep the feeling of that movie with updated graphics, that'd be cool. But again, more more remakes. So I, I think I would go with Armada and I think that it's probably going to be another, like the two asteroid movies that came out are Armageddon and deep like, impact, final impact, deep, or impact. Like, deep impact where they're both racing to try to get out first. If they actually decide to do it mm-hmm. and it, wh- whichever one ends up first is going to win the money battle. Yeah. And then the other one's going to look like a ripoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Even though they're both ripoffs one way or the other. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Armada is absolutely 100%. And the Last Starfighter thing is actually being partially rewritten by the guy that wrote the original Last Starfighter 2. Yes. Who also apparently wrote a 
movie with Whippy Goldberg and a police officer, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Hey, man, I love Sister Act. (laughs) (laughs) But that has nothing to do with it. Wow. (laughs) That's why people come to this show for the riveting, on point, deep, introspective answers Uh, about things. 100% factual information. Um, Here's what I say. Uh, Leave The Last Starfighter alone. Uh, Re-release it in the theaters. For a limited run, as they've been doing recently, and go ahead and make Armada, but you better have Lance Guest in there somewhere. Otherwise, I'm boycotting. Lance Guest, Lance Guest, sorry, played Alex mm-hmm. um, in the Last Starfighter. Ah, he okay. is currently, um, he is currently playing Johnny Cash in Million Dollar Quartet, which is that show so good. Broadway. I got a chance to see it. It's really yeah, good. And nice. And I was, I was like, Oh my God, he's still active. That's great. That's great. Um, that, yeah, that's, that's tantamount to giving Lou Ferrigno the cameo in, uh, Edward Norton's incredible Hulk, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. I, I love that. They gave Lou Ferrigno the, the cameo as a security guard. Yeah. I know exactly who he should play too, but I'm not going to say it. Cause it, that will be a spoiler for something that's not out yet. Oh, so yeah, my, I got one more too. Uh, oh, but, maybe. Sure. I, I was just going to say, I hope they handle it well. It could be super cheesy. It could be okay. Um, but it better have Lance Guest in it. Uh, Simon Pegg came out today and said that he knows that J.J. Abrams had different plans for Ray's parentage, and there were discussions about who they were. So in Last Jedi, of course, uh, Kylo Ren said to Ray that there are nobodies. They just abandoned her on the planet for booze money, basically. Mm-hmm. Would you prefer more connections between characters in the Star Wars universe? Or do you like the fact that her parents are unknown? Do you want that one, Jimmy? Go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, I absolutely would have preferred more connections because to me, it felt it, it to me, the two movies felt like warring directors. Like, and, and I think we talked about it when we reviewed the last absolutely. Jedi was that the, the first director, the director of the force awakens set these plans in motion. And then it was like the second director for the last Jedi said, no, F that. I don't want to deal with that. This is garbage. No. Yeah, no, bah. And, and was like, nope, we're going to cut that off. We're not going to deal with that at all. And I was like, because it, they made such a big deal out of it that for them to just be like offhandedly, yeah, they're nobody. I was like, wait, what? I mean, that was like, that was like one yep. of the main plot points of the first movie. Well, like one of the big plot things of the first movie was who would raise parents, you know, because it was like in secret. They were flying away. You didn't really get to see who they were. Ray's, Ray was on a quest to figure out who they were. And then it was like, yeah, no. Screw it. That movie meant nothing. They were nobody. All right, let's move on. <laughs> I was like, what? I can't agree with you more. Um, you said you took the words right out of my mouth for that to get built up and to be such a thing. Like, oh, where did Ray get it from? Like, who are her parents really? Did they, did they leave her there to protect her? Did they leave her there to learn? Did they know what was going to happen? And then in the fight, you know, or with when Kylo Ren says, oh, you're, you know, your parents were nobody, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I was not crushed, but it was just another eye roll moment mm-hmm. in The Last Jedi for me. And I was like, well, maybe, hang on. We, you know, maybe, maybe he's wrong. And then they're like, yeah, no, really, your parents were drunks who left you on a planet for booze money. I was like, oh, yeah, man, well, this is another reason why well, I hate this down. movie. And, and then, of course, and then, yeah. of course, Who's Snoke? Why does he look like that? How did he get scarred like that? Where was he when all of this was going oh. down? You know, what's what's going on? Oh, 
He's dead. Doesn't exactly. Matter. Yeah, that buzzer was for Snoke, not for Rob. That, that's yeah. yeah I kind of like it. R.I.P. Yeah. Snoke. So, we'll never. So now it's now it's irrelevant because I mean he was fairly quickly dispatched. I was like, what? I kind of liked it. <laughs> it's a big universe in the Star Wars universe, and I find that people find each other too quickly when they land on an entire planet and are able to find Yoda, or they're able to kind of find exactly who they're looking for. And there's just a lot of coincidence in the Star Wars universe. So I was kind of happy that yet again there wasn't a lot of you know, another family thing. Now, in well, theory, but, of course, remember, Kylo Ren was trying to convince Rey to join his side in a way and trying to get her angry. So it is entirely possible it's just going to swing back the other way. Because remember, J.J. Abrams is directing which, the last one. If if it did, I'd, I'd be really annoyed. But then again, he's got he's to spend a like, bunch of time in that movie correcting the the... The other director going, F you, we're not going to do this. And and that's time that could be spent doing something else. And, and I understand what you're saying, Greg, and I agree with you. But there's a way that they could have done both. They didn't need to be like, yeah, they're nobody. Screw it. It's irrelevant. Let's move on. They could, it, they could, have, they could have then created another family that they could have explored at that point. And it and it could have been something completely different, but still been impactful and still been meaningful. And there been and there had been a reason that Ray was left there, other than yeah, well, she was just abandoned. Whatever, they missed an opportunity. Really gonna set that <laughs> clock better. <laughs> All right, so we've I know I have been really excited to talk about the album from Rob's favorite artist. <laughs> And that is Ghost. The album is called Possessor. It came out on March 23rd through Blood Music. So Ghost is a label mate with Perturbator. So there's kind of a theme on that label. Um, it is actually a metal label from Finland. And they have a really confusing website. Makes if a you, lot of sense that it, it's a metal label. It does. Yeah. Um, their website sucks so bad, though. So... This album is metal. I mean, it's it's yes, it is pretty heavy for an electronic album. Now there is some speculation about Ghost himself having been in and around the heavy metal scene for a while. Um, I've seen. Yeah, let's him. talk about that just real quick for Rob. Um, so <laughs> Ghost doesn't ever show his face. Mm-hmm. Okay, he wears like when he performs, he wears like a hood, and he's got. On his so first he, tour, he wore this super cool skull mask. Um, on the second tour that I saw him on, yes, I've seen him twice. Um, the second time, and Greg, you were actually there, he wore this super big, almost like druid um, cloak kind of thing. It was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So really the only thing you see of him is his – the only thing I really saw of him was his hands and his like sharpened black fingernails. And that was – and like his, some, occasionally in a tattoo. That was about it. Now, the first time I saw him in concert, he was actually out in the crowd um, without a hood up or anything. And I wasn't sure that it was him until he actually went on. Um, but I was kind of scared to talk to him anyway. Um, I was actually trying to study his tattoos. Mm-hmm. I was studying the tattoos on his hands and arms when he was standing out there to try and figure out what band he was in. But without, I wasn't able to. Without trying to look like you were checking him out? Oh, yeah. I, I totally looked like I was. <laughs> well, I think back then, they were, he was kind of getting started when you first saw him. 
Uh, so he was, I think he, the secret wasn't quite a big deal, but I doubt very highly now he would ever be out in the crowd because I know people are looking to get selfies. Yeah, he. Um, it wasn't when he was exactly first getting started, but I think it might have been his first tour, and that was at Will's Pub. I actually seen him at Will's Pub twice. So, but yeah, definitely not now. He's he's gotten pretty big, you know. Um, in the synthwave scene, he played Maryland Death Fest. Actually, so he's he's really appealing to a couple uh, who of else played Maryland Death Fest because I I just love death metal band names. You got any? <laughs> um, let's see. The year that I went, Cryptopsy played. Um, <laughs> General Surgery was there. Um, Fuck, I'm dead. Was there? <laughs> uh, wormed. Nice, nice. Bird flesh. <laughs> I are, are these are these be- band names? Yeah, yeah they are. B- band names are Mexican restaurants. Ready, go. <laughs> um, the Jenna Torturers. Band, that is a band. Band name. The we met the guy. My friend and I had met the singer from Fuck I'm Dead, and he was like the nicest guy in the world. That would be an unfortunate name for a restaurant. Um, Lord Gore was there. Triple X Maniac. Um, yeah. Lots of really nice guys. I would like to pose a a future game show for us where we bring some band names to the table and see if Rob can decide if they're real band names or if we just made them up or if they're names of something like something else. We can't use diseases because he'll definitely know that. (laughs) Because I'm well first in diseases, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you are. So anyway, getting back to the album, um, when we saw him, Greg, I remember I had walked into the bar area of Will's Pub to grab a Coke or a water or something, and he just started, and I whipped around because I couldn't tell if it was him performing or if they were just playing metal over the loudspeaker because it was so different than anything he'd done before. That first song which that he opened up with, which is also the first song on this album, is yeah, just a wall sound. I mean, it is... It hits you like a fist. Yep, it sure does. And when I first heard it in concert, I was like, holy cow, this is so much heavier than the rest of the albums. And the rest of the albums are pretty heavy. Yep. So it was a big surprise for me. And then when, but it was memorable because usually if I hear a song live once, I'm not going to remember it again until I hear it a couple more times. And I heard it once live and then I, you know, listened to the, the link that he released on YouTube. Exactly. And I was like, the second I turned on, I'm like, oh yeah, that's that song. Okay, that's what he opened up with. That's the song he opened with. Um, Man, it's – so like you said, it's the first real music track on the album. The first track is more of a sample track, and I I think it's – I think it's great. He compiled a bunch of clips from the – yeah, what was it, guys? Like early 90s, late 80s where everything was attributed to satanic cults. Mm. Yeah, like – there's all those rumors that? going around in the 80s where it was like satanic cults are kidnapping your children. And it would be like these 60 minutes type reviews, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I I very distinctly remember them showing like a pentagram on the screen and then it faded away. And they showed like a goat, you know, where like the face was superimposed in the pentagram. Like the goat head. And them talking yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And them talking about like if you see any spray paint of these these symbols in the woods or anything like that don't go near it yeah it was like a weird fear that like didn't really happen yeah 
it was it was a way for adults to blame music on what their kids were doing, you know, yeah. with bands like Slayer and and uh, you know Megadeth and all these bands. Anyway, he he compiles a lot of those clips on this album. Um, what did you think, Rob? And I know it's not exactly your cup of tea. Did you listen to it? Th- this album? Yes. The, no. Nope. I I couldn't. I mean, it was the 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 tracks were just were just a, a little much for me. I I I got I got a couple of them. Um, like like uh, like Greg was saying, you know, it 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 thumps you in the chest, and I'm like, oh man, it I I don't know how to describe it, but I get these these. For lack of a better, ter- well, no, no, no. For lack of a better term, like these visceral, re- visceral reactions, um, and and I and I know it sounds stupid and cheesy, but you know, it it kind of I, I get this irritated feeling. Um, yeah, no, that's cool. So yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't do too much of it. I I totally understand and respect that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fine. Uh, you don't have to like Ghost, at least that album of Ghost. But yeah, when I was listening <laughs> to it, I was. One of the things I was being like, well, if we're going to send a song to Rob to review, which one would I pick? And I, it was hard. Not Gareth. Yeah. The Prowler was probably the one that, that I would have picked. But I love that song so much. And the last song was really heavy too. I think, what was that? Was that Commandment? Is that the one that was super heavy also? Um, yes. Commandment is the last, yeah. last one. Also super heavy. Like you said, I think, I think Ghost is a master of his craft. You can, Definitely tell the metal influence there on the the opening track, Gareth. He's screaming, and he was screaming at the concert, and it blew my mind. Um, because never, I think, has an electronic musician bridged that gap um, or connected the two genres, like electronic music and death metal, that well. Yeah. Perturbator's close, but it's more visually. Like, his album covers look more metal than they do electronic, but musically mm-hmm. it's way more electronic. Yeah. And you know, that's totally cool with perturbators last album. I think he went in a very big, um, in a, in a very big way, uh, is as far as scale. And I think ghost is doing his thing. I love it. The prowler that's, you know what? That's your favorite track from the album, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. That's the most dance like track for me. Um, my favorite track from the album is Shiloh's Lament, and that starts with a really kind of creepy, almost like walk through the forest and then some kind of celestial singing, and and then it just, you know, goes into this, this amazing track. Um, also from this album, we have Ghost's first kind of foray, foray into doing vocals, and mm-hmm. the vocals are his. There are some very, there are two tracks on there that have clean vocals, um, Sigil being one of them. Um, I think he's got a great voice for it. It sounds very new wave in a way. It's very. Yeah, I can see that. S- smoky club kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Shoegaze, maybe? I love it. I, Shoegaze, mm-hmm. a little. You know, it's weird. It's, I don't know. It's a really is. weird reference, but I was trying to find a way to quantify, since it's not exactly easy to play music for the, the show itself, like that first song. And for some reason, uh, my bloody Valentine kept on coming into mind, like in a metal version where it just, it's a wall of just noise, but contained. 
Yeah, and then there are tracks on there that remind me of Soft Cell or NXS or uh, even New Order, you know? Yeah, I can see that. Uh, one cool thing about this album, I don't know if you saw it, Jimmy, but the Ghost himself actually did a interview interview where he broke down the tracks and what they all mean to him. Yeah, I I was looking that uh, looking at that you posted that, um, and I didn't want to read it to kind of throw what I thought about it, so I'm I'm saving that. Uh, cool, saving my read. That is that. a Ghost Possessor. You can get that. Uh, well, I'm assuming at Bandcamp, but of course at wherever else you buy music. So if you are into metal, if you're into synth music, if you're into dark synth, I would Just check one it out. time at Bandcamp? Yes. Bandcamp is an awesome website that that if you guys have never been to Bandcamp out there, go there. You can buy music from directly from artists. It helps them out. And when you buy the music, you can send them a message. And on multiple occasions... I've, they'll respond. They'll thank you. They'll and you get the chance to talk to these people that are making great music. And you get to kind of name your own price in some cases. So, yeah. yeah, it's really cool. Check it out. Let us know what you think, please. Even if it's not, you know, sounds like it's not for you. I'd I'd really love to know what people think because I'm I'm really passionate about that style of music, both styles of music. Greg, can I just say from the description that you guys were given of um of Ghost and how he appears. Sounds like he would make a really awesome Megacon costume. Oh, he totally would. Oh, yeah. We did see... There's another band named Ghost, which... Go ahead, Jimmy. The band sucks. Yeah, which Jimmy hates. Gimmicky, awful... Two two years ago, one of the people we we ran into was wearing, like, a costume from that band, Ghost. It was, like, a priest... The priest costume. And you actually got it... You stopped with me to get a picture of it, so... He calls himself Papa Emeritus. And he's just... And I cannot stand that. It, they're a hot topic band, you know, and I just can't stand them. <laughs> Good reference. Thank you. So I guess we're going to move on to Pacific Rim. Uh, I believe all three of us had the opportunity to go see it. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, that is correct. Not at the same time, but yeah. Fantastic. So we're going to go over Pacific Rim 2 Uprising. Um, it was directed by Stephen S. DeKnight, uh, written uh, by... He, uh, I looked up what else he has directed. Uh-huh. Apparently he was partial showrunner, did some episodes of the Daredevil TV show, and something called Travel Boobs. Travel Boobs. I like, <laughs> I have no I like idea my what boobs it is. to travel with me. That's awesome. My hope was that it was like the term boobs for like dumb people traveling, but I didn't really... I was at work when I found out that he did things something called Travel Boobs. I really didn't want to get into the searching of that. While you're talking, I will. So it was written by Stephen Esther Knight, as well as uh, Emily Carmichael, Kira Snyder, and T.S. Nolan. Uh, and it starred John Boyega of, of uh, Star Wars. Yep, Star Wars fame, Finn. And Scott Attack Eastwood. the Block, I believe. Is John Boyega in Attack the Block? I think so, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah that was his first movie. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, also has Scott Eastwood, Kaylee Spaney, George, or I'm sorry, Bourne. Bourne <laughs> Gorman. <laughs> I just gregged it. Burn Gorman, Charlie Day, Gost. and Born Gorman, <laughs> Tian Jing. Wow. And a bunch of other giant robots. And, and a bunch of giant robots. And it basically takes place 10, 10 years after the original Pacific Rim. Uh, the world's mostly rebuilt. Um, and the Jaeger Protection Force is, is undergoing some changes, if you will. Um, it's being proposed that they be replaced with drones, basically. Uh, autonomous 
Well, I guess they're not completely autonomous because they've still got human controllers, but I guess they're using like a a uh, networked connection or whatever so that they can control the robots from one central location. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I guess the the theory behind that is that they'll they can be they can be deployed faster because they can just store these drones all over the world and then people from one location can just activate whatever drone wherever whichever one's closest that they need to get to. And I think it was partially to bypass that dual controller sync up thing that they're having a hard time finding pilots, if I remember correctly. Drifting. Drifting, yes. Ah, gotcha. But I believe it's also it, the one of the things that they talked about was was the deployment of them is that they can just be stored at various points throughout the world, and then they don't have to worry about the deploy time for the Jaegers because that was one of the things they talked about during the movie. Yes, yes. And I don't think that's a really bad idea. Yeah. So I think when I first got into this movie, first of all, I was very excited to see it just because I loved the first Pacific Rim, and I was a li- heading into it, I believe that it was you jimmy did you not refer to this as uh, pacific room fan fiction or it seemed like it yes so i vaguely had remembered that maybe if i did i'm really proud of myself i think you did and and before you saw it of course (laughs) and when i think it was when you saw the trailer yeah and my thought going in but i was really excited to see it i i would have liked had the original creator been more have more of a hand in it and what i really felt at the first like I don't know, 45 minutes of the movie. It seems like it was a kid's movie. Yep. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, it really seemed like it was a kid's movie. Like Space Camp or, hey, guys, we're at summer camp. Especially the bunk room. Exactly. They tried to do the banter from Aliens, but in a dumbed-down way. Like, the banter from Aliens is, like, the epitome of, like, jocular, like, awesome banter where you immediately start knowing the characters by the way they're talking to each other and the way they, like, high-five each other and all that stuff. In this... Oh, it was just like annoying and like and dumbed down. And all I really knew was that there was like a Russian girl. <laughs> and yeah, that was about it, which is technically kind of fine because I really don't go to those movies for the characters. I just I mean, literally, if the movie was just monsters fighting giant robots, I'd be cool. And that's all you can really expect from it. Um you know, I tell people that about the first Pacific Rim. And Greg, you mentioned the creator and and kind of wishing the creator had more of a hand in it. Who who might that be? Go ahead, Jimmy. I know you like saying his name. If you say his name three times in our podcast, he does appear. Dude, I'm Guillermo del Toro, Guillermo del Toro, <laughs> Guillermo del Toro. Now, were Where you standing in front of a mirror with, with candles lit? I will do that um, after we stop recording. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro, of course. Very different than his original movies, but it was definitely something that he had a passion for, and it showed in Pacific Rim 1. And then, of course, he had to step down, which I think it was because he did uh, Shape of Water, which, I mean, obviously he's not regretting that decision. No, and, you know, I'm not even mad. Um, The only thing that I was – well, aside from, you know, some of the the child acting in it – the bunk room banter that they tried and the first, you know, half an hour to 45 minutes feeling like a kid's movie. I was really happy that it was really not too much like it was portrayed in the the trailer. I was afraid that this movie was going to be uh, John Boyega as the son of, you know, Pentecost was going to be this spoiled Lang, rich kid. Yeah. Lang at a mansion. Yeah, because they showed him in the trailer 
<laughs> We've got a Hi, little, a little visitor again. <laughs> um, so in the trailer, you see John Boyega's character. He's sitting on a jet right. ski with uh with a woman kind of draped over his back and they're passed out and you go well at least i thought oh great you know he's just some spoiled rich kid living off his you know off daddy's fame and money but it wasn't well i mean to an extent he was a little bit of the spoiled kid but he wasn't living in a mansion they were squatting right because because as he says squatting in half a mansion is better than paying monthly rent on an apartment i mean i'd squat in a mansion you really trust? You, seen you really trusted from- Rob to not go somewhere with the "I'd squat in a mansion" comment? <laughs> Did, could could you could you feel me biting my tongue? I mean, that was yeah. Oh yeah, I did. Um, have you ever seen pictures of the abandoned Mike Tyson mansion? No. Come on. Oh, dude, they're so amazing. That's awesome. But yeah. Well, I mean, my and. And I'm I'm probably the 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 last person to ask because I get taken out of movies real easy easily. Um, my my thought is is the first thing I thought of was, damn, they really rebuilt a lot in ten years. I mean, it takes fifteen years just for us to add something onto the highway, much less rebuild an entire friggin' city. I mean, it's the future, man. The world's cities. I mean, it, it it took it took what eight years for them to clear the rubble from um from the twin towers, so, something like yeah, that. Much. But they also have giant robots in this world. Yeah. So yeah, theory. I mean they they've got some they've got some kick ass infrastructure. I'll tell you what, because <laughs> the fact that they can just rebuild everything and and have everything be up, and I'm like, oh okay. I always wondered that about Star Wars too. To go back there a little bit and. Then someone pointed out that everything is done by droids, so it's twenty four hours of just constant yeah. building, but different yeah. world. So, but I, I mean, I, I have to say, I, I, I felt the same way. A lot of the banter and everything between the characters, and it seemed like a, at least the first, the first part of the movie to me seemed just like a, a, a like it was geared at kids or at teenagers or you know just a, a, a CG fest, if you will gratuitous cg i although i will admit i did i did laugh yeah, sure. um at the 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 little jaeger that she built the um oh, what was his name scrapper scrapper yeah yes when when he was when he rolled up into the ball and was rolling around the feet of the police jaeger and the guy's like oh really come on and he's like stepping around him i i did find that amusing but still i mean it was yeah it, it was it was amusing um it was kind of dumb at the same time for me because this little kid built a mini mm-hmm. Jaeger. I was like, okay, whatever. Like, oh, man, this is really a kid's movie. But, yeah, my thought was, how did you pick up these pieces? Like, how did you get this, you know, it was like built out of a bunch of, like, scrapped right. parts, of course. And I'm like, I was like, how did you possibly get that large giant parts. bulldozer up to the top? And how did you get that over there? Like, that takes a team of people by herself, mind you, because they made it very clear she did it. She's like she's like twelve and she's an orphan and it's like she's figured out how to build a Jaeger completely from scratch. I'm like, yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah. So uh that being said, a lot better than I expected. Yeah, I thought even with I all thought of the that. battles were pre- were pretty good. Uh, since we're doing miniature picking here, I, I did think the battles were good. I thought that some of the the additional story, like little twists and turns were pretty cool. I there was one shot that was really weird and it it bothered me from a 
editing, graphic design, 3D thing. There was a shot where that that spiked ball, like cannon thing, was launched forward at somebody. Mm-hmm. But in every other right. movie like that, they started off fast. Like, it'll launch fast, and then they slow it down for, like, drama and effect to see how it, like, to show it flying through the buildings and stuff. And then they'll speed it up again for the hit. Mm-hmm. And this time, they cut the camera right as it launched, and they started off with it moving slow. So it looked really weird to me. Like, because it was on a chain, but it looked like it was yeah. going and it constantly was going in slow motion. So it looked like the chain was stiff and it looked like something that if I was doing it mm-hmm. myself that I'd want to have to fix. That's my own weird 3D nerdiness. So I think, and I know what part you're talking about. I think they did that as a nod to the first one. Um, and there's shots whenever like the fan and, you know, Gypsy Danger's chest started spinning around. Um Okay, so they they did that largely in in slow mo. Yeah, they like did it in slow mo when it, it would like wind up and then it would go fast and then it would like kind of slow down again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That because I, I I remember seeing that and going, "What the hell?" Oh, okay, it's like the first one. Okay, so I know what you're saying, but I think there's a reason for it. Okay, it was just it was weird because it it made me think like, why is this thing going so slow? Because they never showed it fast. Um, I did think the battles were pretty good. I also I always find it interesting where they're very aware that it's a movie sometimes like these giant robots are running down the streets of a city and for dramatic sense, they're like running their hands along the buildings and like crushing the buildings. That looks cool in a movie, but if you were, if you were in charge with protecting the city, you're not going to purposefully destroy the city. Like unless you need to catch them. Yeah. Because I'm watching that and I'm like, how many people did they just kill? I'm like, why are they doing that? It's cool looking, but damn, y'all are destructive. Like babies, kids. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> we don't die. We <sighs> most die. So, what did you think about the Jaeger designs? <laughs> Sweet. Although, so I saw the trailer and I'm like, okay, this is dumb. One of them has a sword. One of them has a spiked ball. One of them, yeah, one of them has. They all have their like little gimmicks i guess but and then i had to remind myself that it's a movie about giant robots fighting giant monsters and then i was like oh, okay mm-hmm. i okay i'm fine yeah, which is funny because we're, we're we're complaining can, about little things but I, at, this, at the end of the day we got another movie about giant robots fighting giant monsters so we're good i'm yeah kidding. well can can i just say that i, I would have liked a little bit more in the aspect that um i don't like it when an entire movie falls apart if one character makes a different decision. Um, Cause to me, this entire movie doesn't happen. If that one guy accepts his dinner invitation and he goes over and meets Alice, I'm like, why are you trying to get him to come to dinner? If he comes out, this movie's over. You're, you're being locked up. There's nothing going to happen. Nothing. You know what I mean? I yeah. recall that part. When, when, um, oh, I can't remember his name. The, the guy who, who plays, who, the, the, you know, like the nerdy guy yeah, from yeah, Horrible okay. Bosses. Uh, when he comes over and meets his scientist friend and he's trying Charlie. to get, he's trying to get him to Charlie come over Day. to dinner. Yeah, Charlie Day. When Charlie Day comes over and he meets his, the, the scientist friend from the last movie and he's talking to him and he's like, man, why can't I learn this Korean or, or Mandarin? You know, and he's like, I, I'd really like you to come over and meet Alice sometime, you know, if you got any free time. And the guy's kind of blowing him off. And I'm like, why would you do that? If he comes over and meets Alice, this movie's over. 
you nothing happens after that because he gets arrested. Alice gets impounded, sure, and sure. I'm like, or he gets ki- or he gets killed. The, the whole right, but, but the whole movie essentially falls mm-hmm. apart at that point. And and to me, that I don't I don't know why that was even there. I think there was some rewrites or some changes that were made because um, Mako Mori, who gets she gets killed very early in the movie in a helicopter thing, mm-hmm. but she was, played a major part in the first one. And she had a major role as like the secretary general, I think, of the whole uh, Pan Pacific mm-hmm. de- Defense Force. And then mm-hmm. she basically dies off screen in like a helicopter explosion you see off in the distance. And I yeah. think I think that she was supposed to have a larger part, but something happened where they had to lower her part down. Either it was a rewrite or someone else was supposed to have a uh, something happen. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's probably a few changes that happened as a result of that that trickled down throughout the whole movie. Let me um, tell you guys which part really brought me back to, okay, the movie, it is what it is. Um, And I'm just going to sit here and enjoy it for what it is. There's a moment when the Jaegers, you know, they, they launch and they're piloted by these younger people. And one of them, I think he's like Eastern European. He puts on, a song mm-hmm. and they're like, really? And he goes, Oh, it relaxes me. And it's that trollololo <laughs> song and that video. was popular and the video. He projects it out. It was popular on the internet um, a few years ago. And it's just, it's the really weird video from this like Russian variety show. Um, but People have used that to, to say, okay, hey, I'm trolling you or, you know, which is, which is dumb. But in that sense that they were trolling themselves and that showed me that, okay, this movie is not taking itself too seriously. And I really, really appreciated that. Yeah. There was a part, it was, I don't know exactly what, what happened. It might have been the battle out in the snow area, like with the, that was pretty badass. I think right at that point, I was like, okay, that's what this movie is. It's fun. I shouldn't look too deep into it. I shouldn't think about physics. I shouldn't think about that kind of stuff. And that's when I started really enjoying it. <laughs> it took me a little longer. Um, the the part that, and it's going to sound really stupid, but the part that pulled me back into it and it being, uh, okay, that that's, that is what we're watching. All right, let's, let's just go with it. Was the, it, it was, it was actually closer to the end. It was the, if my father were here, he'd give you some rousing speech, but blah, 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 and then proceeds to give them a rousing speech. And I was like, ah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yep. it was, I gotcha. It was a wink uh, at the camera. It was. Yeah. The apocalypse is canceled. Yeah. It, it, it was the apocalypse is canceled speech, but he started it off by saying that, you know, his father would have, you know, if his father were here, he'd, he'd have done it. You know, I'm not my father. But here's a rousing speech anyway. <laughs> I was yeah. like, all right, I got you. And I had one other little thing that I uh-huh. noticed uh, that I had to think back to the first movie. Were the precursors a thing in the other movie? I didn't remember I don't think that. they were. Because they mentioned it as if we should yeah. know about it. They said that the precursors were sending stuff, to, you know, these giant monsters to us. Through the through rift. rift. Yeah, and I was like, what? And I was, who? Like, they never called him that before, and then the characters were talking about it right away, and I was like, did I forget that? Because I, I vaguely remember seeing little alien critters on the other side of the rift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember I'd have them to go having back and watch it again, but I don't, 
I don't remember that either. Yeah, I'd have to watch it again and and get back to you. But I do know Pacific Rim 1 is like in the $5 bin at Walmart. Hell yeah. And then uh, there was an end credit scene, or a mid-credit scene, I think you would call it. And they basically hinted that if there's a Pacific Rim 3, that they would be you know attacking the Precursor's world, which is, again, back to the Precursor thing. Which I think would be mm-hmm. kind of interesting to see. Why not? You know, I've seen I've seen enough Why buildings get knocked it. down, so I, I could see some alien kind of devastation. And just finish. what's interesting is it, this movie got made not for really our market. So we're talking about it as if, you know, maybe it's a kid's movie or maybe it's whatever. Uh, this movie was made for the Asian market, period. Um, in 2016, China, a group called uh, Dalian Wanda Group bought Legendary Pictures. And uh, that group is made, is owned in China. And that movie does bank in China, Japan, whatever. So it looked like it was going to, it got $65 million from China in the first, in the opening week. And I'm, I don't know what it did the other weeks, but it's doing very well. Uh, let's see. In, in the opening week it did in foreign markets, it received uh, 79.3% of its total wide, wide, worldwide box office. In foreign markets, it has made $185 million. Um, in stateside, it's made $48 million. Okay, so yeah, so it's doing well. It means there might very well be another one. Do it, and uh, you know we'll see it. We'll talk about it more than likely. I'd love to see it. Yeah, I'd love to see it wrap up. Why not bring Guillermo del Toro back to it? Now, the only <laughs> problem that, <laughs> of course, I'm going to say, Jimmy, that. is there any movie um, that you wouldn't problem? want Guillermo del Toro to direct? Nah. Um. So the only problem that I had was uh, after Pacific Rim came out. And doing his talks and his tours and everything, um, Godzilla was brought up as being a kaiju in Pacific Rim. And I stood there in disbelief after seeing the mid credit scene or whatever. And we looked it up and it said there wasn't anything beyond that. And I was really – I was crushed that we didn't see some kind of preview. Because if those worlds came together, man, that would be something. But so be like the I Godzilla King Kong movie that's coming a- next and then in the mid credit scene for that – have a giant robot come up and start fighting them, and then... <laughs> Hell yeah. Then they all get together, and they go fight the Precursors, and... And, and the Avengers show happy. up. Hey, man, we're gonna go fight the Precursors. <laughs> Wanna come? And then Korg shows up and leads a revolution. He prints enough pamphlets this time. <laughs> this is why we should be writing these movies. Okay, so we are going to stick with movies, and the other big movie that came out this past couple weeks is, of course, Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. And yet again, all of us got a chance to see it. Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. It is based off a book by Ernest Klein, which I, I think I might have read that one possibly first, because a, a former student of ours who I trust quite a bit with her opinions had, was talking about it as one of her favorite books. Okay. And you you know who I'm talking about. Um, but anyway, I won't say her name on the air. Anyway, yeah, she, me she talked about it, and... I was like, okay, if, if you like it this much and you're pretty picky, then I'm going to uh, I'm going to take a listen to it, and I, I enjoyed it. My my wife enjoyed it. I know I'm guessing you guys enjoyed it as well. Uh, the book and the movie they they differ a little bit, but the movie story. I'll just a brief summary. It's about it's 2045. Uh, the world is like overpopulated. They don't really get into it. They don't focus on it, but it's pretty environmentally destroyed. Somehow Columbus, Ohio, is the the hub of everything, and People are just kind of hoping that the outside world goes away 
and all the problems fix themselves, and they all live in this like VR fantasy simulation called the Oasis. Yes. As a result, that simulation is basically the biggest company in the world, and the guy that created it, uh, James Halliday, he dies, and he leaves ownership of the company to whoever can find three keys, basically solve three clues and find these three keys within the, the Oasis. Uh, the main character basically finds the first key. Basically, everyone knows where it is. They just can't get to it. He finds a way to get to it, which means that everyone is now on this race to get the second one, third one. It's a little different in the book in the case that the book, it seemed like people had just given up on trying to find them in the book until the first one found it. And well, then they, people go nuts, but it's a little different. They, they knew they knew where the first key was because they said during in the, the movie. The, yeah, they they said during the 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 introduction, I guess, or whatever, that someone had found the clue that says where the key is, but nobody knew where the other keys were because when you completed the first one, it gave you a key to the next one. It gave you a clue to yeah. the next one. Yeah, yeah. It was and, basically a big race that everyone would get involved in, which you guys have probably seen in the trailer. Well, in the in the movie, they do bring that up. They said, "Oh, the first clue was found five or six years ago." Right, right. And since then, the only people who were still, you know, everybody knows it's it's where it's at. Um, and even the main character says, "Oh, yeah, it's really only us now doing this." Yes, yeah. the Gunters. But anyway, when, once this character gets the key, this corporation that's trying to basically take over the Oasis and all the money that it would bring. Uh, IOI. Or EA, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Spur you, EA. Thank you, Rob. Yeah. So he uh, teams with a, a – uh, basically they, this company finds out that who this guy is. This guy, the, the hero, um, decides that he's going to team up with some other players to basically find all these keys before the company and, you know, save the Oasis for the people. And of course there's a bunch of other stuff going on, which we'll chat about a little bit. And there are some real life consequences, even though everything happens in a virtual reality world in the form of like, there's some, there's a bombing, there's um, some forced servitude situations with these loyalty centers in the IOI thing. And so, uh, is it, what do you guys think? Is it weird that, that the IOI on like all of their helmets looked like LOL? It does. That's why I said it. it I, was, like I think it was supposed to. Lowercase LOL. Um, and I, I talked to you about this before, Greg. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of, a lot of throwbacks, a lot of, oh, look at that kind of things going on. Um, but the, uh, the, the thing that I had a little bit of problem with was it seemed like, it seemed like the IOI was kind of, kind of like this all-encompassing, uh, you know, overarching nemesis, if you will. Like, they controlled everything, and they were they were in charge. And it wasn't until later in the movie that you actually find out that they're not the government. I mean, because it made them seem like IOI was, like, the government. Like, they were in charge, and they could do whatever the hell they wanted. But later on... You- they did mention them as being the second most valuable company in the world. Uh-huh. Right, but, but just... Which I thought... Just the way the movie was presented, it seemed like IOI was in control of everything and they were in charge and they had, but then you come to find out that they're not really, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, they, they deal with the virtual world and, and they, they, they're not really above the law, but like for the entire movie, it kind of, it seemed like they were the law. And I'm like, this, and what, so when we got to the end, I was like, well, wait a minute, why the, what? Well, without getting overly political, it's not like that's too far off. You know, ever since uh, 
Citizens United case, I mean, comp- corporations are writing laws now. It's not too far off. I don't entirely think that was a mistake mm-hmm. because I, I think that they were working above the law, not so much as the government, but more as a where they were striking out was places where people didn't care and were they were like in forgotten areas. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were striking out in basically a high rise trailer park, right? Yeah. yeah. So like, I don't think that they cared. They did. They reminded me a lot of like, and this is not supposed to be a reference, but they always they reminded me a lot of the um, the anti heavy metal band, like in eighties videos where they'll have like the quiet riot video where the anti heavy metal guys are running around like destroying like stereos and stuff mm-hmm. with like their motorcycle helmets and things. They kind of reminded me of those. Yeah. The um, no, absolutely. The the guy in charge of that, Nolan Sorrento. Um, who's in charge of the IOI? Ha- he's he's very corporate. He's very stuffy, and every time he makes these pop culture references, it's very cringy. Um, I don't know if you guys felt the same way. He felt very the principal from the Breakfast Club to me. Yes, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. This, um, is, this is another one of those movies where I, it took me a while to figure out what they were doing. Um, and to me, it was like the, they started off the villain was almost too, too cartoonish and, mm-hmm. and one dimensional. But then like as the movie went on, I started looking at it as not only are the references throwback, but the, the form of the movie is very throwback to a one dimensional villain, you know, corporation bad, lame, uncool, the kids awesome, know what's going on, the fight, the power kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, that brought me back to, you know, really a bunch of 80s movies even some early 90s ones too and that and then i was and that happened pretty early i was like okay it's an 80s movie action movie with a really pretty fresh kind of of like cg paint on it yeah i i can absolutely agree with that 100 percent. yeah i mean i i i i think i would have liked it a little better if they'd have gone if they'd have gone all the way and actually, and, and I know that's probably not how the book was written, but if they'd have gone all the way and actually made like IOI the the de facto leader of you know almost like the government or whatever, made them you know the 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 man so to speak, um, where they could control and they did have they did have the authority to kind of cover all of this stuff up and and make stuff disappear, I would have had less problem with it. Um, but the fact that th- I don't remember the book all that well, but in the book it had mentioned like governments breaking down and there being nuclear wars and other things like that, which I'm thankfully they didn't get it, get into in the mm-hmm. movie, but that might've helped you yeah. with yeah, that it, particular it, aspect. It, it might've because yeah. at, the, at the end, it's like, you, you know, you're like, Oh, you know, well they're in charge. Who the, who the heck is going to, and then, you know, some cops show up and they're like, sir, you're under arrest. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. That kind of lets you know that they're not above the law, I think. But for me, Having read the book, I could not put it down. I, Greg, I either borrowed your copy or I got it. I actually got it from my a friend of mine, I think. Um, but I would wake up and be the first thing on my mind. I would grab the book. I would start reading it um, until I was done. And I think in the book, it you know it does kind of put them as this overreaching superpower and IOI that can pretty much do anything. You know, they're, they're the NSA, they're the government all in one, but this movie for me was so on the brink of being a two part, uh, two parter. Mm-hmm. And I think that if, if it was, that'd be fine. 
I just thought, man, there's no way they can stuff that much into to one movie, and, and they did. But they left out some some pretty key parts of the book, and that was describing IOI's power. It was one of them. Yeah, they did that. There was there was also a lot of they had to compress some relationships forming, like friendly. They left it, but yeah, there was yeah, five years they, between. I believe it was like five years or something in the book between two characters yep. meeting and and going and trusting each other enough with this massive quest. Whereas in the book, it mm-hmm. was, you know, it was, it was, oh, here you showed me, if you helped me find this thing, you showed me some plants and a rooftop. And by the way, I love you now. Like, wait, what? Well, and, yeah. And those characters actually spent a long time apart from each other in the book. After a certain event happens, they don't talk to each other for quite a while. Yeah. They kind of both go about their ways and trying to find, you know, this, um, these Easter eggs. Um, Events bring them back together, but it happened very quickly mm-hmm. in the movie, and it had to. Otherwise, it would have been two movies. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned some of the differences from the book, and I have a list here, but the one that – the first quest one, which we kind of touched on, was supposed to be searching for this um, skull-like cave in the book, at least, from a, from Dungeons & Dragons, which I believe was on the cover of one of the, the players' handbooks, right? And I remember I remember that visual so much from back when I was a kid. I was looking forward to seeing it realized in the movie. And you know, of course there were some joust situations and stuff like that, which I, I just really wanted to see that in the movie. So I was a little disappointed that that first quest had been changed. I also like the fact and for the, this is a book thing yet again, it was found in the, the educational part of the Oasis. So the Oasis is so big that people even go to school there. And I thought it was just so cool that, you know, the, the person was focused on education and that it was a, an area where, you know, we're going to start this quest where people learn stuff. And then that was basically wiped for, you know, a, a basically Mario Kart, you know, without the turtle shells. Yeah. And, and adding Tyrannosaurus Rex and King Kong. Well, yeah, I was just like, what? Really? So I see Jimmy that you didn't like IROC. No, I didn't. I, was, I thought was IROC in the I book. It was a D bag. No, he was, but he had a different name. There was a character like that. But he was he was way different. Yeah, no, I didn't like him. I thought um, I thought the way they wrote him, he uh, his humor wasn't really appreciated. He seemed he like this kind perfect of perfect because because uh, of all of the things you're saying. Because he was supposed to be a complete like goofball. Like I was hoping. I mean, I know why you didn't see him. He was played by T.J. Miller, who's kind of in a little bit of trouble right now. That's where I recognize the name. Yeah, so he's T.J. Miller, who you probably know from uh, Silicon Valley and from uh, – used to be on Silicon Valley and from – he was in Transformers? Yeah, he was. I don't remember that. He was, he was the also the guy that he was, was, in, uh, that was uh, turned into stone or whatever. Okay. And uh, he was also the, the lizard mascot guy yeah. in Big Hero 6. But he got in a little bit of trouble because a past girlfriend said that he had uh, you know strangled her and something, so – I'm actually surprised he his voice remained in the movie, but I knew they weren't going to actually show him in real life. But I totally pictured like this little nerd, this little nerdy guy sitting at his home computer, like picking the most ridiculously over the top character. I'm going to be a badass. I'm going to have a skull mm-hmm. for a chest, and I'm going to you know act how I think a badass acts, but be completely the opposite of that. And I love that character because he was so lame. Yeah, he was he was super lame. I don't know. I I feel like they introduced that character to be a catalyst to move the movie 
uh, forward a lot quicker than it would without, again, I'll go back and say it, without it being a two-part series. And I, I, I agree with you, Greg. I actually liked Irox's character, um, and and even even the name, you know, the the, the nerd trying to be awesome, Irock. You know, um, so for for me, I didn't have so much of a problem with Irock. For me, it was more the uh, the villain. Because I think it's funny. Like I'm just looking at our notes here. <laughs> Jimmy wrote shit character yeah. next to Irock, and I wrote douche canoe, but I wrote it with love. <laughs> a little bit of love. No, I wrote I wrote shit character with pure hate in my yeah. heart. Um, so I think we we you really can't get past this movie without talking about the '80s references. And as I said before, well, as we kind of talked about, we're not going to just sit here listing all the references. You're going to find them. The one thing that really worked for me not was when the references weren't noted by the characters and they weren't like telegraphed. I thought that was so much better. And my thought was, you know, these guys live in this world where references are mm-hmm. basically currency, right? You know, you know, the vehicles you can build, the vehicles you know is what's going to help you get ahead in this world. So the characters, like, would mm-hmm. already know this stuff. They wouldn't need to explain it. The first time in the beginning of the race, this, like, red motorcycle comes up, this red, like, futuristic motorcycle, and he's like, he's got Kaneda's bike from, or she's got Kaneda's bike from Akira. You wouldn't yeah. need to say that. It would be like me talking about, Metallica or something to Jimmy and being like, you know, Lars Ulrich from Metallica. Like, I don't need to say that. I know that everyone knows that reference because of the I world don't. that we live in. And, <laughs> well, you don't, but that's why I use Jimmy as a reference. You know, they didn't need to explain that Akira bike thing, but the references that worked for me would like, you know, just one example that really stands out was uh, when the Iron Giant goes into the lava yes. at the end and the he does the, the little thumbs up thing yep. from Terminator 2. Which yeah. was perfect for me, and no one was like, "Oh, that's cool." He did the thing from Terminator Two. It was not mentioned. The people that got it cheered or you know liked it. The people that didn't get it, okay, whatever. They'll look it up later if they care. But it didn't hurt them hurt the movie, and I don't think they needed to mention any of the references. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree, hundred percent. I, which is also going back to there, our, which is going back to that thing about Armada. Why I think it'll make a better movie. Mm-hmm. In a book because they could completely leave out any mention of any references and let it live on its own. And yeah, if people, you know, want to understand a reference to Iron Eagle because of a soundtrack song, mm-hmm. cool, they get it. I'll get it. I'll, I'll be Iron, uh, Iron Armada was was pandering, yeah, to me, yeah. Um, but anyway, back to the references, and I'm yeah, back to the references. Um, the, the ones that were put in there that stood on the room that didn't have to be mentioned. I really, really appreciated. Um, there's a cameo by the glaive from the movie crawl. <laughs> I cheered. I, I, I was like, what? And, and just kind of leaned forward. I, again, I was in the theater by myself and I kind of looked around for, for, I think I might've been the only, I went very close to a college. I think I might've been the only person that was like, what on that one? Yeah. And I also have watched crawl way more recently than well, anybody on the planet. Probably. I looked around for affirmation and then I was like, oh, that's right. There's nobody here. Um, I had the perfect seat. I saw it in 3D. I, I failed to mention that before. Um, there was, uh, let's see, there was like a couple of weapons and things like that. And man, there was a lot of freaking battle toads. Did I noticed that notice it was that? the first flyby shot over the, uh, the battlefield. They were like right in the front. I missed the battle toads. Oh, even before that. They, they were in there like, 
like at least yeah. four times. There's a lot of battle toads. I think repeated Ninja Turtles, the movie version mm-hmm. of the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, um, but yeah, I I dug the references that they didn't have to point out. You know, other than that, the ones that they I was like, I know, yeah. like when she was pulling all of the various spaceships out of the out of the box, like, oh, this is the this is the most like, like, no, just mm-hmm. move along. Yeah, yeah. unnecessary. Or even there was a certain doll that was used as a weapon, and forget that scene. That's stupid. I actually liked how it was like murderous. It was stupid. I did too. Uh, I liked how it was trying to kill uh, kill him. (laughs) And then he threw it out, and the guys like, "Oh my god!" And then like, and then you see like all the guys like go red around it as it like bounces to each one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then they run away, (laughs) which as opposed to kind of like slumping down. After their avatars died. Speaking of horror, let's a part that surprised surprised me, and I loved it. The revisiting of The Shining, very beautiful. It made me want to go back to the haunted house in Halloween Horror Nights. Mm -hmm. Very surprising too that they went as dark as they did on it. They sure did because, like Pacific Rim Uprising, this in a lot of ways felt like a kid's movie. Yes, up until Mm -hmm. that part. When that woman came out of the bathtub, I was like, "Whoa, they're right! Wow, they're going there." Even the the what eyeball you, falling out of the, the H corpse. Yeah, when H walked down the hallway, H cut it like naked zombie grandma mm-hmm. or something. Yes, you know they did the the blood out of the elevator. They did just so much of that stuff, and I was yeah. Well, and the theater was called the Overlook. Yeah, yes. So I was wondering how deep they were going to go into that. And they went. They went deep again. I looked around and I was like. <laughs> It was like, you guys see the Oh yeah, I'm the only one in here. Okay. And it managed as much trash it managed to as I talk about be so much more organic than the rest of the thing. Cause it it was like the one part of the yep. world that they made it look like it was the seventies. Like I don't know if you know it had like a yellower tinge to the film and it it looked like you were really there. It and did. it was such a contrast to the rest of like the very blue cyber world that I loved it. Yeah, I did too. Um, I thought it was a little more perfect than it should have been, but you're in a computer simulation, so of course things are going to be super clean. Um, but yeah, I, I internally I was cheering and, during that whole part. And and as far as references go, um, the 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 classic nod back to the the oh no, I'm hideous. I have a mole. Don't look at me. I was like. Really? Okay. Um, you, 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 do you know what I'm talking about? Where Ar- Artemis? Yeah, yeah. Where, where he's like, I, I want to meet you, and she's like, No, you wouldn't like me. Trust me. No, you wouldn't like me. You wouldn't like me. And he shows up, and she's got like a, a birthmark or something. That's yeah, like over one of her eyes. Right. That was actually fairly hard to see at certain points. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. They made that really, I think, small in comparison to to what it was in the book. I don't think you guys watched it, but did you guys watch um, uh, Bates Motel at all? No. no. So that actress was from Bates Motel. Mm-hmm. And first of all, she's really good. She's a great actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought she was fantastic in Ready Player One. I thought she was way better than the main character. Yeah, and she, in Bates Motel, she has... Uh, I don't know exactly what it is, but she has to carry oxygen with her all times. Like she has, mm-hmm. it's not asthma, but it's like a, her lungs don't work 
capacity. Mm-hmm. And so every, it seems like every movie I've seen her in, she's got like one visible flaw that they reference and she plays it so well. Like you, you see, you saw the birthmark thing, but what was, I think the bigger point was that she thought it was a bigger deal than it really was because she was trying to cover it up and he's like, whatever. And she's like, well, you, you, you don't have to mention it or you, you can mention it if you want. And he's like, I don't care. Right. Yeah. I think it was more her hiding it, even though no one else really noticed it, you know? Right. Like that, that horrible think, thing that you hide, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shh, we can't talk about that here. Um, gotcha. but, but, to, but to me, it was kind of like the whole, the, you know, it's like the, the making a mountain out of a molehill thing or the, or the Superman's glasses, if you will, you know, molehill. exactly. Yeah. You see what I did there? Um, yep. or the, you know, the, the glasses for Superman. Now I'm Clark Kent. Oh my gosh. Who are you? What? Wow. You know, yeah, take the glasses off. Stupid. Now I'm Superman. Oh my gosh. It was, it was such a good disguise. But you know, it was it was kind of like that where they take like a, a a little thing and turn it into this. Oh, I'm hideous! Don't look at me. I was like, mm-hmm. all right, cool. So were you guys uh, now? Oh, go ahead. Wait, now she was wearing a Joy Division Unknown Pleasures shirt. Yeah, so I'm sure and that's why again, you again. Well, I thought she was great. Um, as far as acting, I think she was probably had the best acting in the film. There were parts of it that were suspect for me. Um, there was a part there when the main character, he comes out of the Oasis and he, he comes into the living room of this trailer and, um, he lives with his aunt and she even makes mention that she, she dates losers and he, he comes out at one point and the guy like pushes him on the ground cause he was using something that wasn't his and just the acting there was so stiff. And it, it made me laugh. That, that's um, another one of those parts where I was like, oh, this is so much like an 80s movie where they're one-dimensional. Like, in this case, the parents or the caretakers are losers. They don't get it. You know, it's mm-hmm. yeah, but I, maybe Goonies or maybe I, some of these other 80s kind of movies. Yeah, but the acting was garbage in that scene. Yes, it was. He, he gets pushed down and he goes, oh, call the cops. And he's not at all in distress or anything. He doesn't look upset. And he, it was just forced. It was a laughable. Yeah. It was a laugh, laughable acting moment. Yeah. Uh, what did you guys think about just the two major set pieces? The, the two big battles, there was the race, which I think opened it up great. And then of course the final battle on the big battlefield with all of the pop culture stuff. I, I loved, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It, it was, it was like eye candy. I loved all. I loved the last battle with all the pop culture references yeah it was it was exhilarating it was cool i've i've heard from multiple people it was an orgasm closely to the the um industry that you have to see it in imax if you haven't i did not so i'm gonna have to go back and see it again in imax mm-hmm. yeah i could see that um i loved it i the race was okay i really enjoyed seeing the delorean that i might talk about later um, i might as well Canada's, i will not Canada's bike from Akira, which is, you know, we, we talk about anime very seldomly, but Akira was an absolutely fantastic film. Um, and then again, yeah, trying to pick out who's who from the, the, the crowd. I know, I know you, you know, Greg and, and Rob, I know you guys don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but there's a part where, um, these characters are, are running forward towards this obstacle and they're spawn, mm-hmm. you know, right there. And, 
I didn't actually or, see that. You know, there's, I saw I, it. Yeah. You, uh, there's RoboCop. I saw RoboCop. You know, yeah. Um, it, it was an eye gasm, like mm-hmm. Rob said. I mean, there are times I wanted to pause it and go, wait, is that who? Oh, okay. Is that, is that who I think it is? But, you know, the parts that I saw really uh, spoke to me. Um, they were things that I love and uh, I thought they were great. I thought the battles were great. I thought they were huge. Not as, as angry about the character design as I was from the trailers. Although I think Artemis's character, his av- Artemis's avatar looked really stupid. I, I did not like the big eye thing. I did not like that character. Like, oh, I liked the character. Yeah. I didn't like her, her decision for her avatar. Her avatar looked like it was in one of those cutesy Disney animations that are for like four year olds. Mm-hmm. Well, but uh, she's like a. But fairy isn't, isn't the big eye thing like a hallmark of of like the anime? It is, but not that far apart. I don't know what the reasoning for that. She looked like a like a fairy from a kids movie. Hmm. I, I did. I did not, not a like little it. bit like the tooth the tooth fairy from uh, Rise of Guardians, maybe, but pink. Yeah, I can see that. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that. Uh, I kind of, I, the, the main character, um, I've, uh, it was okay. It was just, it was what it was. His character reminded, uh, the main character's, uh, avatar reminded me a lot of like a Final Fantasy character. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. Did look a little bit Final Fantasy. Almost, almost squalish. Oh, he looked, looked. Almost squall from Final Fantasy VIII. Squall. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I thought that was, that I was happy that. With that, I thought that that final battle was probably a little too blue. I would have loved some just let the characters' colors shine so that you can actually pick them out a lot better. Because it was like you could see them, but everything had that blue gray hue mm-hmm. in that at the end. That I would have I would have liked to see what that would look like if it didn't have that hue. You know, like how much more vivid and bright and crazy that battle would have been. With it would have been, I, I think, really good if they didn't do that color grading to make it blue. Yeah, it was it was really dark. It was probably done for a reason. I mean, that's that's a lot of CG on the screen at the same time, and you know, especially if you see it in IMAX, there you're gonna notice every detail. So it was kind of like in you know the first Pacific Rim, where a lot of the fights were in a raging ocean at night. Yeah, true. You know, you're you're hiding a lot of that yeah, stuff, blocking some of the the issues. And I yeah. think when you're when I was watching the movie. It was definitely the eye candy. It was, I love the story. It, it flew by for me. I, you know, I, yeah. And I really enjoyed it. And afterwards when thinking, you know, we of course have to think about these things more than just when we see the movie. So after it, I was, you know, just kind of thinking of it and there was, there was, Oh, it went, definitely it was some two things hours that and 19 minutes, but throughout the movie, we, not I mean, feel like it definitely go out there and see it to see some of the little things we haven't discussed, but like you touched on a little bit, you know, there's a lot of talking about people hiding their true selves and hiding behind this like giant video game stuff, which I thought was really, it was interesting. It wasn't heavy handed, but it was cool. Um, a lot of talk, a lot of talk about regrets and paths, not chosen, not taken with the, the character that had passed away starting this whole thing. And um, especially like, you know, like reality versus fantasy and, you know, the, the quest, like I said, it, it really explored Halliday's mistakes mm-hmm. and he, you know, he created this world and he kind of hid in it to get away from the fact that he made mistakes and everyone kind of looks at that and is like, Oh, you know, he was super rich. He made all these things. His, maybe his, you know, his world must be awesome. But it turned out that, you know, outside of the world, it wasn't, he, you know, if you looked at the outside world, he would look 
kind of frazzled. He looked mm-hmm. like he had made some mistakes in his life and was, you know, and what I could really think about was you know, all of these people that hide behind like, you know, Instagram pictures where they take the perfect picture of the one thing in their life. That's awesome. But everything else is terrible. And people look at them like, Oh, so-and-so is so cool. And like, I there wasn't, there was like a story where some girl like took pictures and made it look like she was traveling around the world for a year, but she never had left her apartment. She was just taking pictures of like, you know, clever pictures just to prove that everyone's like looking up to her thinking she's so cool and she's getting all these followers, but she was like, basically just hanging out in her place and was scared, not scared to leave, but she was doing it as a point, which I kind of thought was interesting. Full circle. I'm all about it. No, you you make really good points Um, about that. I actually, I complained to you guys that I thought that uh, from the trailers, again, I'm, I'm being a real stickler in trailers. Uh, they made him look almost more awkward like they were really pushing the awkwardness of that that character to the point where it looked like the actor was not a good actor. When mm-hmm. James Halliday in the movie turned out to be my favorite character in the movie for all his flaws, mm-hmm. um, I thought he was very well acted, and uh, you know he he had a lot of regret, and you could see it written on his face every you know little every time he he was talking like when he was talking to Og. Um, there's a scene in there without, you know, really spoiling anything where he's just kind of avoiding the issue, you know, the subject. He's like, Oh, can't we go back in time, like back to the future or, or something like that? And he's, he's really doing that to, to hide the way he actually feels. So, you know, I, I thought the, the character was really well done and it, it, it touched on a little, lot of issues that, you know, we deal with in this connected culture. And I'm going to take the rest. Here, I'm going to take a risk on my other thing that I, that I noted. Uh, the movie does kind of, obviously, the pop culture thing. And it talks a lot about the, like, over-importance of pop culture. And I was immediately reminded of all of the people that we know whose 100% their personality is of the favorite thing that they love. And, like, I think we all, like, every so often I'll, I'll run into somebody and it's like, you know, every single thing they're going to like, you know, when you talk to them just because they, they wear it on their sleeve. You know, you know, all the people that are going to like the latest episode of Rick and Morty, you know, they're what they're going to say about a Star Wars thing. You're going to like that because they wear their like their personality is the stuff they like. And I think this movie had a little bit to say with that, like pop culture. It's fun, mm. but it shouldn't be the most important thing. And I don't know, just something that kind of stood out to me with these, you know, these people when the only thing they were talking about at first was just. Oh yeah, I like Akira too, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then later on, when they started like grouping up, it was more about okay, what are we gonna do? I don't know. Just it when I if the one thing I, I always seemed I worry about, and I worried about it even starting when we started the podcast stuff like that. It's like we're gonna be. I don't want to talk about the same things over and over again. And if you go to like any message board of like, I'm sure you when you go to the 49ers mm-hmm. message board, Rob, it's like you see people and they're like. You know, I made this Excel spreadsheet of who the 49ers should draft. And you know, it took them like days to do. And like, they're just some dude in an yeah. apartment somewhere. Or like, if when I go to like any Pearl Jam page and there's always somebody that's like just fishing for a conversation, he's <laughs> like, you know, what are the top five favorite Pearl Jam songs to listen to when you're driving at night? <laughs> like, do you have nothing else to talk about? Like, I, I totally understand that. Um, I thought the, uh, 
I thought Nolan Sorrento's password was was very uh, very much that. Do you remember what his I, password uh, was? I do not. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yes. It's boss yeah. man sixty nine. And it's like <laughs> and it is a thing that I was you know, I worried about with me. It's like am I a byproduct of all the stuff that I like or not? And you know, I think we all of us work to not be that. To be more than just like, oh, you're the Pearl Jam guy and that's it. Or, you know, you're the you're the metal guy. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Rob's the hey. guy with hobo corpses I'm the in his garage. Bride guy. That he actually is the guy. Yeah, he's the Princess Bride guy with hobo that's corpses right. in his garage. See he he branched out. Um I think we all really like the movie, right? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very no, much. No, I I I enjoyed it. I did. More than I thought I would. Um it was good. Went by. Oh, I, I will tell you guys mm-hmm. this real quick. Um, you know, I said that I was the only what person. What time did in you take theater. your pants off? I went. The movie started <laughs> at three forty-five, and um, three <laughs> thirty. <laughs> but um, I watched it by myself. I, clearly, they didn't feel like they needed to turn on the. Good thing he wasn't wearing pants, person, because it was really hot. But when I. Yeah, uh, but when I got out, I kind of <laughs> thought the world ended, and I was the last person on the face of the earth. Because when I walked out, and I made the trek all the way from the back, so we're talking about Oviedo Mall, and theaters like 11, or no, theaters like 3, uh, let's say like 11 mm-hmm. through 20, 11 through 20 are like all on one side, and they're way back, and you have to walk over a bridge, and you know, and everything. Um, I got out of the theater, I walked out. Nobody went to the restroom. Nobody. And it wasn't until that somebody else walked in the restroom that I said, Oh, great. Uh, the world isn't over. I'm not the last person on the planet or the only other surviving member of humanity is this old guy. Tell me you actually said that out loud and the person was just completely freaked out and just got to turn, stop, turn. <laughs> no, uh, no, I didn't say it out loud, but I was definitely, <laughs> my heart rate started to go up. Um, and I was like, "Oh man, this is it." Because like it's people, a pretty engrossing movie that way. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was, and I saw it in 3D. Which, if you want to spring the extra four bucks, um, I thought hmm. uh, there were parts, especially where keys were displayed, uh, without saying too much, that the 3D was super good on that. Super good. Um, right on. The rest of it, nah. It. I mean, it was worth the four extra dollars. So this brings us to our question: We. They've talked about Pacific Rim Uprising and Ready Player One and all of its, you know, brilliant pop culture references. We want to know, or actually the question this week is what are your five pop culture vehicles or robots that you would want to own? So who would like to go first? Rob, I'm looking at your list. You have to keep it to five. Uh, well, it it is the, the, the first five are the five. The others were honorable mentions. Okay. Gotcha. I, I had a few honorable mentions myself, but go ahead. Right. Oh, you want me to go? All right. Uh, well, my just just to just to throw it out there, the honorable mentions were Optimus Prime, Ghost Rider's bike slash horse, because uh, the western the western Ghost Rider with the flaming horse was awesome, and uh, Kit mm-hmm. from Knight Rider. Those those were my honorable mentions. But strong, strong. At at number five, and this is strictly if. I mean, we're we're assuming that I have the capacity and everything to be able to use these vehicles, correct? The the capacity and the resources to use these vehicles. 
Otherwise, you know, I, was yeah, torn, I, I was torn on this one because in some ways I was like, okay, I'm going to pick, should I pick stuff I could store or should I pick stuff that like, you know, like the shield helicarrier here, for example, would be freaking awesome, but that's more than a one man situation. Right. Well, but that's, so like, that's my question is if I have the capacity to do it um, or the, the means to be able to do it, I mean, because one of them will, will leave my list otherwise, <laughs> perhaps two um, of them. It, you you get to in this case make your own things. Okay, all right. So, so my my number five is going to be the Silver Surfer surfboard. Okay, because uh, assuming I have the capacity to be able to operate it, I can take it anywhere and do anything with it. That'd be awesome. Now that begs the question: Do you actually know how to surf on a real surfboard? I do not, because falling into the ocean is a lot better than falling into like the sun or or a black hole. Yeah, but you'll learn. You'll exactly learn. exactly. Um, at number four, I'm going to pick a, a Gundam. Whatever one, it doesn't matter. I'll take one. It'd be awesome. Okay. Um, at number three, this is one of the ones that would have moved off had had it been, you know, like your shield helicarrier thing. Because I'm going to take the Death Star. Because nice. Just just the sheer no power. Going to mess with Rob. Exactly. Yeah. Just the sheer power. Hey man, I'll blow up your planet. What up? Now, would you block that exhaust vent immediately? Oh, I, of course. Yeah. Okay. Go on. Um. At number two is going to be the Millennium Falcon. Okay. Um, because that is that is a more manageable size vehicle. Um, it does it does a whole lot of stuff, and you can travel through space in it, like the surfboard. It'd be just fantastic, and just just the just the icon the iconic status of the Millennium Falcon. But my number one choice, just because I think it would be cool as all hell to be able to travel through time. And oh, the phone booth. Anyway, travel through time and be able to witness history as it unfolded and all of that and see things and find things out and stuff like that would be the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Nice. Those are all strong. And and I would choose yeah. the DeLorean over the time machine because the time machine was a phone booth and you can't really go anywhere in it. Yeah. It, and the DeLorean looks way cooler driving down the street. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So who's next? Uh, I'll go next. Do it. So, this was this was difficult. There were, you know, a few honorable mentions as well. Uh, Gypsy Danger from Pacific Rim. Gypsy. Uh, just a couple of others as well. Gypsy Danger or Gypsy Avenger? Gypsy Danger from Pacific Rim. Oh, okay. But my number, my number five is the Party Wagon. That's the Turtle Van. Nice. Now, most would you would want it to launch pizzas out of the top of it? I'd want it to launch, launch pizzas into my mouth. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. You can, like shoot pizzas at my I'll friends and have mind. never mind. Super wow. awesome pizza raves. Pizzas, Rob. We only launch pizzas. Number four is going to be the Magic School Bus. Wow! Because they could they okay. could take you wherever your imagination. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. So That's a good thing you're three, the one with that because we do not want to go wherever Rob's imagination is taking us. No. <laughs> my number three is the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Um. It's so cool, you know. Uh, looks a lot cooler than uh, uh, and, and it makes a lot more sense than trying to explain. Hey, yeah, no, this phone booth. Yeah, no, it. Okay, anyway, the Dor- DeLorean actually looks like it could go back in time or into the future. My number two is Airwolf. Okay. When I watched this series when I was when I was little, um, I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. Because that thing was awesome. My number one, this did not appear on your list, 
but I was obsessed with it for a little while. Um, it's actually a Ford Falcon XB GT coupe that I, I believe wasn't available in the United States, but it's the interceptor from Mad Max. It's the car that Mac, Max Rakitansky drove and it was just a badass muscle car. Nice. Nice. Yeah, first of all, a few things. One, I knew your top three, not in necessarily in that order, but I knew what Jimmy's top three were going to be just in general. Like I just, I knew that's what they're going to be. The other two surprised me. Also, <laughs> I am legitimately surprised that Rob didn't put the Eagle five on there. The what? Do you guys do the Eagle five, the Winnebago from oh, uh, Spaceballs. Yes. Oh, nice. Yes. Like I thought that was going to be your number five. Like you're like, this is goofy and I want to stick it in my front yard, but it's not as <laughs> badass as the Death Star. So I, I, that was a surprise too. So here we go. Uh, number five is Airwolf. Just like Jimmy said, that show was awesome. I actually liked Airwolf better than I liked Knight Rider back in the day. I am a, li- a little scared to watch Airwolf again because I have a feeling it's not as good as I remember it. So I'm just going to leave it in my, my nostalgia that zone. it doesn't stand up. It's probably really bad. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just leaving it there. Surprised it hasn't been remade, though. They could probably make that movie way, that show way cheaper than back then. I mean, then. hell, they did anyway. MacGyver. Yeah, right. Uh, my number four, the M577 armored personnel carrier from Aliens, because I was thinking about owning these things in the real world. Oh, yes. And getting to work in that thing would be so much easier driving, you know, on I-4 and every, well, not I-4, but 408 be so much easier so driving badass. over I-4 in, yeah, basically in that, uh, personal carrier. So plus it was cool looking, uh, number three, I am a little bit torn on, but I'm, I'm just going to go with the gut. The one that came to my mind first was the snow speeder, which I don't really need that here in Florida, but it was, it was always my, one of my favorite designed Star Wars vehicles. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to stick okay. with that. The Tumblr Batmobile, which came out of nowhere, but when I first saw the design for it, I thought it was so cool. And then when they brought it into the movie and they showed that it was how it was like a military design first and that Wayne Industries had been creating and all that stuff, I just thought it was really cool. And I, it's kind of the combination of a Lamborghini and a Hummer. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty awesome. And my number one, of course, is the Millennium Falcon, which was also in Rob's list. It's just a cool looking ship. You could live in it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know. The fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy, and as as long as I don't have to deal with the uh, fixing it whenever it breaks down, so that that's that. And also, it needs to have, be the one that has all the porgs in it. <laughs> yeah. Quick question about that, though: Do you think we're going to get the Kessel Run in the Solo movie? Oh yeah, the if you look at the oh, Lego for sure. If you look at the Lego set, it's called Kessel Run Millennium oh, Falcon. Well, there you go. I mean, I don't know anything about Star Wars Legos. Not not at all. Nerd. Okay, so. That's the end of our episode. Our next episode is a special birthday episode. Oh, who's the birthday it's boy? Me. Yep. Yay. So it's going to be an all heavy metal episode next Absolutely. time. Absolutely. I think we might play a little game for my top 5 on my birthday episode. Yep. So for oh, and for yeah, for the birthdays we we let the person whose birthday it is curate the episode and get to make all the calls. So. This is going to be so uncomfortable. It's, I know. I'm so concerned. <laughs> but oh, <laughs> I have legitimate oh, concerns. Yeah. Thankfully, I'm the one. Oh, that, thankfully, I'm the one that does the editing. So we, we could be we could have a legitimately have a three minute episode next time. <laughs> yeah. Let let Rob uh, edit the next one. Yeah. There we go. We can blame him. So anyway, thanks for listening, guys. You know, go on to. Uh, iTunes, whatever, write us a review, subscribe to the thing, write us emails, tell us 
your pop culture vehicles you want. As ridiculous as they may be. The Guardian yeah. ship is pretty cool too. The Warthog from Halo. That's pretty the, awesome. The, 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 oh, what was we his character? Game going. Master. Um, or not a game. Serenity. Like, I was thinking Serenity, but I was like, if I have to fix the Millennium Falcon and Serenity, no. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. knocking on my door hold on that's his child by the way so not just not just a random little boy about to be murdered by a poltergeist yeah because our dog who is uh small and silly couldn't find her little toy beaver (laughs) that she has that she's had since she was a puppy